Folks, uh, it's a simple message this morning, but like most things that are simple, it's hard to do. Do you know what I mean? It's really simple. Husbands love your wives. It's really hard to do. (laughs) And that's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, As I said earlier, um, our lives are entering a season of change in this community. Um, I was speaking with someone this morning and the last 12 months has been a season of incredible change for them. Uh, We've got people uh, in business in this church who have never made so much money as they have in the last 12 months because of the madness that's gone on in the world. We've had other people who've... uh, lost their job multiple times uh, in this season. It's a, it's a season of great change for many, great anxiety, whether you're abounding or abasing. It's been a season of great change and concern. Uh, this church is entering a season of change. It's been 17 years uh, since this church has had to look for a new senior leader Uh, And in fact, this church has only had two senior leaders in the last 35 years. Uh, So, you know, we're not very practised at this. We're not a five-year sort of turnover church, and so we're on the lookout. It's a season of change. And my question to you is, how do we do it? How do we live this? How do you do that sort of change? How do you do change? How do you do it in your life? And the real question for me in my life personally, because my life's going to change, I mean, I haven't had to apply for a job in 17 years. I'm no good at it. Very unpracticed. People say, oh, you're retiring. I wish. No, just changing. How do you do that? The real question for me, as I think about Cheryl and my circumstance and the circumstance of this community and perhaps your circumstances, can I trust that Jesus has got this, that Jesus knows what he's doing. You trust that. And I can say, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no problems. But can we really? Can we really? We're going to have a good look at this little passage here because the Pharisees came to Jesus and, as usual, they began to argue with him for a sign. And Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. And then it goes on, the disciples get in a boat and they forget to bring bread and Jesus starts to reflect on the conversation he's just had with these Pharisees who are seeking a sign and he says to them, you know, the real danger for us in these times, friends, disciples, followers, is that we get hooked into the yeast of Herod who was the greatest and most powerful ruler in Israel for many years, we get hooked into the yeast, that which percolates uh, in Herod and in the Pharisees, the way of doing life and running your life that percolates in them. That's the danger about this phase, that we get kind of worldly about it and we get kind of rationalistic, there's nothing wrong with being rational, but rationalistic about it. We look at what others do. We look at where the power lies. We follow the money. 
the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees. And it's easy to get drawn into that. Who isn't drawn into Who hasn't been? Who, for who is that not relevant? And in this passage in Mark 8, I was reading it the other day and I love the Gospels and it just revealed three things and they're simple things and so I want to be quite simple about them and as I share them with you and I think they're incredibly relevant for us and for me and Cheryl personally as we enter a season personally of change, whether it's abounding or being abased, whatever it might be, it's uncertain and here are three things that sort of go up in the level of sophistication in a sense uh, that have helped me as I've pondered uh, this season of change. Now in the Bible I always like to know where I am and here we're in northern Galilee. So Jerusalem's down the south, up, up, up to Jerusalem down the south and folks you're sitting in the Sea of Galilee so I just want you to know that. It's beautiful, it's warm, full of gorgeous fish, it's lovely to swim in. And often you'll see these little furry-nosed animals swimming past, which can be a little bit disconcerting. But they're what the Bible calls the conies. You read about the conies, and they actually really do exist, and they love to swim in the Sea of Galilee, but if you're in it, it can be a bit unnerving if you see one of these little dudes uh, go past. And then, as you look north... North, there's a reason for me telling you this, by the way. Well, if you look north, so you're in the sea, Jerusalem's down that way, and you're looking north, this is what, what the Bible calls the evangelical triangle. This is where Jesus did two-thirds of his work. And right this minute where we're Stefan and Franz, wave, guys, that, that's where we are now. It says here they just went into the district of Dalmanutha, which is Magdala. Remember Mary of Magdala? Well, that's where she came from. They've just dug it up, just excavated it, and it was beautiful, wealthy, not big, on a major trade route that ran across the north. And then Caesarea Philippi is where Andreas and Marinda are. Give us a wave. Okay, it doesn't get a mention, but we end up where the communion table is, which is Bethsaida. They're excavating it at the moment. They thought they had Bethsaida, but they've now found it under the water where the lake is. And so they're excavating the ancient city of Bethsaida. I just love to know where I am. Why am I telling you that? Folks, what we're about to look at here is local. Local. This isn't some great big grand thing out there. This is us. This is where we live. This is who we are. He's talking to us. He's talking to the people he lived with every day in the places where they lived. That's where he is. And the first thing I want us to have a look at as we look at this home territory situation and, and these events is that Mark chapter 8 and this first section, verse 14 to 21, have a look at it. Jesus, we ask, has Jesus got this? Well, I want to say yes, and he's got it by way of provision. Do you ever worry that God will provide? There was a guy sitting in, in, in the service this morning, and, and he said he'd lost his job multiple times throughout COVID, multiple times. I said, so what's your story? He said, well, I listened to your talk, but he said, it's true. You know, I, I, we've never gone hungry. We've never been certain 
but we know that God has provided. And look, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not twiggy. I haven't gone from 7 billion to 30 billion this year, but I've had enough. He's provided. So here in Magdala, down where Stefan and Franz are, down there, Jesus comes and starts talking them uh, to them about the... He, he sort of have this musing of, about the, the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees, that which would get our head into a sort of a, a headspace where we're anxious and we're fretting about provision and we're kind of thinking the way... Well, just the great big corporate nature of the world thinks that maybe as a church we need to join the political party that we think will win just so we have some power in the world. I think you'll find, folks, that's the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees. It's a different kind of way of thinking. Human control, secular authority, traditions, human wisdom... And those secondary hopes, not the primary hope that is Jesus, but the secondary hopes of, you know, the relationship, the extension, paying the mortgage, having more, 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 the secondary hope, and then I'll feel okay. The yeast of Herod and the Pharisees. So the point in this first section is that the basic promise of God And the promise of Jesus is why are you still talking about having no bread? Now I can tell you we as a church are very tempted to start talking about hmm, maybe we won't have enough bread. If you hear that talk, I've got to tell you that's the talk of Herod and the Pharisees. It's not the talk of following Jesus who says don't you guys get it yet? I'll take care of what I've promised to take care of. I will do that. So the first thing is let's not succumb to the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees around provision. Either Cheryl and I, as we step off into nothing, you, as you abound or are abased, or this community. God is the God of provision. It's simple and it's absolutely here in this text how many bags do you keep picking up you know when i arrived here the budget in this church was one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year today it's 430 there's a guy sitting in this church right now who said to me i thought it was the wisest thing i said he said why would you expect god to give you more money people when you haven't spent the money he's already given you it's a pretty good question it's a question of faith and provision and spiritual provision because when we trust like that then God feeds us spiritually and we trust him more as we move forward so that's the first thing p provision the second thing is we move into this uh, section where they come to Bethsaida so they've moved from over there to here Um, not very far still local Um, Was it Andrew came from Bethsaida? They were fishermen. And some people bring a blind man. Now, everyone would have known this blind man, and they just offer him to Jesus and ask him to touch them. And he takes the man by the hand, and he leads them out of the village. That's interesting. He takes them away quietly by himself. 
And he says, he touches him and he says, can you see anything? And the man says, I can see people, but they look like trees who are walking. His vision is not clear. As we enter into places of uncertainty, we're often looking for the next vision. But here we see that vision is unclear. Tell you what, when you lose your job or you're stepping out of something you've done for 17 years or, you know, the organ grinder's going away and leaving us to it, you can really rush to the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees to go and find some vision. What are we going to do? What are we going to look like? How are we going to do it? Who's going to do it? That's all, they're all good questions, but we've got to be careful because here Jesus teaches very clearly that the vision is restored by coming away quietly with him, coming away quietly with him. And you see in this man's restoration of vision that it doesn't all come at once. It's not, I was this, then I'm that. It's not, I was unclear, now I'm clear. It's a participative journey. People bring the man. Jesus takes the man. He can still see people. You know, it's a participative journey, this thing. So we've got provision, yep, tick. Not the way of the East of Herod and the Pharisees, but faithful trust and good stewardship, spiritually and materially. Then we see here vision, uncertainty. We have to step in by faith and hold on to Jesus who will clarify that vision in time. That spoke to me uh, as I looked at this. That spoke to me. That was the second thing. The third thing uh, we didn't actually read about, but I'll finish with this. Jesus went on with his disciples. So he leaves this very homebound section um, just just where the cars are parked out, there's a place called Corazon. So there was Magdala down here, um, Capernaum, uh, Capernaum here, Corazon just out where the cars are parked, and and uh, Bethsaida. This was what was known uh, is sometimes called the evangelical triangle of the Bible. This is where Jesus did all his ministry. But where we go now is where the cars are. Then it's over the road to June Crawford's place and then it's up the road to the Eric Street shops. So he takes them, he's assured them of provision, he's clarified vision, then he takes them way out of their comfort zone to somewhere where they're really, really uncertain, somewhere where they don't feel uh, particularly uh, comfortable at all. And um, it's interesting because uh, this, I think, is, is kind of the big one. Uh, this place is spooky. It's pagan. It's unclean. It's uncomfortable. And Jesus' question really is, how sure, how confident are you really in me? You notice the blind man couldn't see Jesus aright, couldn't see him right, took some time. Have a look at Peter, his most trusted follower, 
Who do people say that I am here in this spooky, weird, sort of away place, this, this place of uncertainty and unsettledness, this place of abounding or abasement, this place of leaving after a long time, this place of feeling deserted? Who do those people say that? Who, do, who, do Herod say, who does Herod say that I am? And who do the Pharisees say that I am? Give us a sign, they say. Who do they say that I am? And Peter nails it. He says, well, they say all sorts of things, but we say you're the Messiah of God. And when we've decided who Jesus really is for us, Tess, he often takes us to a place where we feel lonely or even abandoned or misunderstood or dealing with a bureaucracy that drives us crazy. His message to his disciples in that place where they were trusting for provision and they were sure that if they worked together they'd get a vision, Jesus then takes them away into greater uncertainty And he tells them horrible things that are going to happen. He talks about suffering, being forsaken, rejected by us and for us, killed. And then after three days rising again. And then I love this picture. I get this picture of Peter, who's the big guy, just sidling up to the Messiah, just sidling up to his friend Jesus. And you can do this, by the way. You're welcome to do this. And just taking him by the arm. Jesus, can you just come with me, please? And him just taking Jesus out the back, and look what the Bible says, and rebuking him. You ever done that? Just taken Jesus out the back and said, Mate, you don't know what it's like being me. You don't know what it's like leading this church. It's so tempting to take Jesus just aside every now and then and just tick him off. And I tell you what, he's up for it. If you want to grow in your faith, and I see a few big smiles of deep faith people here, go and take Jesus by the arm and tick him off. You'll be sorted out in the most beautiful way and you'll come so close to him by doing that. And of course, what happens... Peter isn't seeing Jesus aright. He's gobbling his ang- in his anxiety the yeast of Herod and the Pharisees. And Jesus has taken him away to see how vulnerable we are as a community to that. We are as a married couple to that. We are whether we're abounding or abasing to that. That's what we do when we say, I trust Jesus. Really? I'm not sure I do. It's only the next step that I can have assurance that I actually do that. Provision, vision, assurance is our final point. Jesus wants us to be assured of his reliability and faithfulness. He wants us to be assured. There's a really good product called PVA. 
It's glue. It's the best glue you can get. It glues everything. Leather, unglazed pottery, cardboard, cloth, foam, wood, paper, particle board, you name it. PVA, provision, vision, assurance. Don't forget them. Provision, vision, assurance. It's the best glue in the world. So as Potsy and I step off and a little bit further away from your life than we have been, we need to take an assurance of provision, a timely set of steps into vision, new vision, and it takes time. And we need to do it with absolute assurance that Jesus... Well, this is written for us so we can be confident, not in the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, but in the saving, loving work of the Lord Jesus Christ today. The thing is, I can talk about provision, vision and assurance. That doesn't mean a jot. doesn't mean you've got them. It's not until... You get the glue and you use it that you see what a great product it is and how well it works. You only get it by exercising it, by moving forward prayerfully and actively together in him. And I think it's one of the ways you should, should, should look at leadership. PVA, is this what your leaders are offering you? Confidence of provision, confidence of vision, confidence that Jesus has got this and they're living that way they're the people I'd encourage you to follow over just to finish over um, you know 17 years there have just been so many pastoral uh, journeys that we've gone on with people Tess lovely hearing your story there are many other stories of faith together that we've shared and yesterday the day before Cheryl got uh, an email from someone who has known unquenchable suffering. You know, we're a mixed bag of lollies here, aren't we? All sorts of things have happened to us. You know, I stand here and I look at you and I, you know, I could tell them amazing stories about most of you. <laughs> and uh, this person isn't here right now and isn't anywhere near here and won't be for a long time, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about this story, but they just experienced unquenchable suffering, so much so that... Um, as this person drove from work to the town, one of the main towns, they would, every time they drove that trip, they'd think of what they were going to drive their car into. Such was their unquenchable suffering. And they heard that we were transitioning into something we don't know what. And this person said this, primarily, I must add about the lady playing the guitar this morning, but I think it probably applied more widely. She said... I survived those first two years because God used you. Now, I'm looking at you right now. Every one of you that I know, God has used you. You. Listen carefully. I survived those first two years because God used you. He didn't use your knowledge 
He didn't, I'm quoting now, he didn't use your understanding or your great spiritual gifts. He used you. He used what makes you, you. There's a song, I'm quoting, there's a song, I am who you say, you, Lord, say, I am. You showed me this, this person's saying. You didn't need to be the pastor's wife or the leader of the worship group. You just needed to be you. The song says, I am a child of God and I am who you say I am. That's who we need to be. That's how we use PVA. Provision, vision, assurance. Because God hasn't made rubbish and junk here and he will use you, he is using you and he will continue to use you because he made you to be who you are in him. Fully assured. Fully submitted. In a minute, Cheryl's going to come and sing a song. The last verse of the song, and you'll hear her sing this, says this as we pray together. Lord, the song says, hands to the plough, we're pressing on and running hard to win the prize. Empowered by the love of God with grace before, before and grace behind. For lo, what hope before us stands. You finish all that you began. Eternal joy is in your hands and all of our tomorrows. Amen.